You are listening to a Monash Christian Union Bible Talk. We encourage you to share this with friends and family, but ask that you do not edit it without the permission of the owners. This Bible Talk is designed to supplement belonging to a local church with its teaching and community, not to replace it. We pray this talk helps you love Jesus and become more like him. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 to 11. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that sufferings produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Well, good evening. It's great to see you all again. Um, I'm sorry it's under these circumstances. I, feel, I felt this guilt complex all through the week, knowing that we're coming back to basically the same talk, and I waffled on so long last time, uh, that we're kind of back here in this same passage. So forgive me for that. But you know, how about um, Will Smith, huh? <laughs> that guy sucks. He's much worse than me, so I'm basically a good guy. Thanks, Will. Um, so anyway, here we are. Uh, Romans chapter, chapter 5. Um, and we're asking this question, what do we gain? What do we gain as Christians? That was the, the, the question from last week. What do we gain? And how we got here in Romans is that, um, as I said last week, this is all recap here, Paul is writing to the church in Rome, the Romans, and he's wanting to unite them together in the gospel, particularly has in view the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians, and particularly has in mind the issue of the law. Um, you know, how do we relate to basically uh, righteousness or good works uh, now that we're in Christ? And, and really what he's wanting to say, Paul, is that there's, there's nothing that we can contribute uh, to our relationship with God. It's all done uh, in Jesus Christ. He's completed it all. All we need to bring to the party is a simple faith, a simple trust and ongoing, enduring trust in him. But that's all that we've got to bring. Um, and that has left a couple of loose ends, uh, particularly in the Jewish mind, right? So if we acknowledge that Jesus is Messiah, as the Jewish Christians did, and the Gentiles as well, uh, they did also. They acknowledge that Jesus is this great king, is going to you know, he's the good news king. Um, but in the Jewish mind, of course, like I said last week, 
that meant the restoration of all things. Well, if you're saying that Jesus has come and done it all, and there's not some extra bit that we have got to contribute in following Christ to restore creation and Jerusalem and all that kind of stuff, but Jesus has done it all, and yet the whole cosmos isn't fixed up and created, then what, what do we gain? Uh, if we're just simply waiting uh, for some grand future event, and that is true, we are, this great restoration of everything, right? The resurrection, all that stuff. Then what are we gain here and now? And, and how do we live? And so that's what we're looking at last week. And we found, you know, what do we gain as Christians here and now? Christ has done it all. So, well, we looked at last week in the passage in Romans chapter 5 and we, we found that it, it says that uh, we gain this grace in which we stand and this hope in which we boast. That's the two big things Paul is saying we've now gained. This grace in which we stand, this hope in which we boast. And they're related, of course, right? And uh, I went on to say last week um, that that uh, transforms. Having this hope in which we boast transforms our suffering. Do you remember the, the bike thing and... Uh, you know, suffering helps refine our hope, helps us to look forward to what we will receive when Christ returns and helps us put our hope in the right place. And I went on and on and on and on and on about that. And, uh, and then we ended it and said, come back for part B. And here we are. And the cliffhanger last week was, can you remember what the cliffhanger was last week? It was a fun journey to go on together. Can anyone remember? Because I know that I assumed that there are many sleepless nights. You think, I cannot wait for part B to answer the cliffhanger. Can anyone remember? Okay, well, the cliffhanger was, the cliffhanger was, um, how do we know this hope is real? How, or to put it in terms of this passage, it'll be up there on the slide for you. Will our hope put us to shame? Will our hope put us to shame. That's what I want to speak to tonight. If this is what we've been given, peace, we've got this grace in which we stand, and the, the great prize really is this hope in which we glory. It's hope. It's, it's just hope, isn't it? How can we be sure? And tonight I want to answer that by saying, um, no, this hope will not put us to shame. And for two reasons in this passage. One reason is our character. The other reason is God's character. One reason our character. The other reason is God's character. For those two reasons, our hope will not put us to shame. Firstly, our character. Now here I want you to do a little bit of work with the person next to you. Um, I mentioned last week that um, suffering leads to hope. Suffering produces hope in the Christian life. Well, I want you to take a closer look, a closer look at these verses here. I'll read them out to you in a second and answer the question with a person next to you, how does suffering, how does suffering produce hope? Actually, I'll get you to read it together with the person next to you so I don't immediately give away the answer. You look at verse 3 and 4. You look at verse 3 and 4 and you answer that question with the person next to you. How does suffering lead to hope. Got it? How does suffering lead to hope? So, so go for it. I'll give you a minute. Yeah, so I want to um, dig into that. It's really important, isn't it? It's, it's, you know, Paul here, why is this such a detailed 
dense letter. It, you know, from chapter 5 through to chapter 8, it's this really nuts and bolt detail, never comes up for air explanation about the mechanics of salvation, and it's because he wants you to understand. Paul is saying, we have been saved, damn it, everyone in this room, if you think, you know, that's the wrong phrase, really, isn't it? All, all things considered. Um, you know, you have been saved. You have been saved. And, and, and I can, sh- I can sh- demonstrate without doubt that it's really true, but you need to understand it because it's such a sure thing. Understand how salvation works, right? And so he's getting to this nitty-gritty of it, and so he, he breaks it right down for us right here, and I want to sort of take a bit of a deep dive here. What is Paul talking about? Suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. Character produces hope. Leads to hope. Somehow, for some reason. Well, let me jump back on the bike. Sorry, I should have. After Patrick's assumption last week that I wear Lycra, which I did not say in my illustration about riding a bike, that will forever remain a mystery. A mystery. A mystery. Um, but if that's in your head, I should give you a trigger warning. So sorry, here goes another story about me riding a bike. Uh, but this week, I want to sort of um, I want to sort of ratchet that illustration up a bit, okay? To talk about a similar kind of thing, but adding another layer, which I think will help. I hope will help you to see in more detail how Paul is connecting suffering and hope. So growing up in Tasmania. Um, most of you know that's where I grew up, that's where I was born, grew up there in Hobart. Every summer for, I don't know, three or four years, maybe five years, I can't quite remember how many times, but me and a group of friends rode up the east coast of Tasmania on our bikes. Um, we'd make a real trip of it, it would take about a week, we'd take our time, you know, we'd um, camp and swim at the beach, and it was, it was a great time. The, the, the high point, the high point of the ride, like metaphorically and literally, was, the, was the, what they call the Elephant Pass um, in Tasmania. There's a pancake parlour there called Elephant Pass Pancake Parlour. Would you believe it? Uh, and it's up the top of, on top of this saddle between two small mountains. And it's the northernmost part of our ride. We'd get to the Elephant Pass Pancake Parlour. We'd turn around and that would be the point at which we start heading home for you know, several days. It took us to ride back home to Hobart. And it was a really fun part of the ride because um, it's eight kilometres. I, I think it might even be more than that. Eight kilometres of just straight up, really steep cycling. And the challenge was, and, and most years would bring along a new person because in the first year, we're all, we all had this challenge set before us you cannot get off your bike, you cannot stop, you cannot walk until you get to the pancake parlour. You really have to earn um, your pancakes at the end. Um, and so every year we'd have new people come along with us and so it was, it was always kind of fun because you thought, will the new person flake it? Like that person who I won't mention did in our first year doing it. And so we all started on our ride right towards the pancake parlour and uh, I had two mates with me in the first year, I think it was just three of us, two mates with me, and they were both far superior cyclists to me. For them, it probably wasn't such a big deal. For me, I felt like this is full-on, uh, you know, Latour. I thought I was in the Pyrenees, sort of climbing the Alps. It seemed completely intimidating to me. And 
at the first part of that ride, they're racing on ahead of me, and I just, it was really messing with my head. I thought, I really want to keep up with my mates, but I thought, then I'm going to burn out, then I'll get off my bike, it'll be even more humiliating. So it's really messing with my head, all these psychological games are going on within me. I'm going to start out just really slow, trying to work out how much energy I've got. Can I actually do this? About a third of the way, it's really, really starting to hurt. I'm not sure I can do this. Just take your time, Stu. Breathe. Just concentrate on breathing. It's hot. It's in the middle of summer. It gets hot in Tassie in summer, believe it or not. Keep going. About the two-thirds mark, maybe three-quarters mark, something interesting happens. It flips. In your brain, it flips. Or do for me anyway, always that's sort of the three-quarter mark. At that point, you realise you can do it. You've come this far, and you go, I know I can do it. There's this sort of the, 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 the balance tips from I don't think I can do it, I hope I can do it, to unless something drastic happens, I've got this, I've nailed it. It flips. And I use that as an illustration to sort of more precisely try and get at what Paul is saying here, right? Suffering, suffering produce, produces perseverance. It's trying to knock me off my bike, but I will keep going. Perseverance produces character. I'm wanting to become the kind of cyclist that makes it. And the more I go, the more I persevere, the more I'm becoming that cyclist. Till it comes to a point where I go, I know I'm that cyclist. At, at some point in your journey, you know, your, your, your hope keeps building because you realise you're becoming. You're becoming what you want to become. You can see it in yourself. You can see yourself evolving before your very eyes. And Paul is saying... See, there are two sides of assurance, or two sides of our relationship, two sides of our relationship with God. One side of our relationship with God is God's part of the bargain. He says he will save us, and he's got to uphold his end of the bargain, whatever part he has to play in saving work. On the other side of the relationship is, is our side of the bargain. It's important to get this as Christians. It does say that God works in us, but there's something you've got to really understand about salvation. We are not passive in our saving relationship with God, are we? It says in, in numerous uh, spots in the New Testament, we need, to, we need to persevere, we need to keep going in the faith. It says in Colossians, all these things will be yours, your salvation, you know, um, you'll be purified, made spotless and clean, if you continue on in your faith, right? That's our side of the bargain. We have to continue on in our faith. So we're not passive. But then again, at one level, it's really easy, right? All we've got to do, all we've got to do as Christians is keep trusting Jesus is king. That's what the gospel is. Jesus is king. We've gone, yes, he is. And, and all that is required of us is that we simp simply keep living in light of that declaration. Jesus is the king. He's my king. Just keep on going with Jesus as your king. It's actually not very hard at all. We're not passive, but nor is it difficult at all. But I want to sort of flip-flop here. I also want to say it is, it is actually kind of difficult. Like, we, we, do, we just have to simply trust in Jesus. We don't have to become... 
you know, we have to reach some level of righteousness or have no sin or anything like that. No, we just trust in Jesus. But here's the, here's the tricky bit. It's harder than it seems. It's when the whole world is marching in the other direction, that's what makes it... That's just one thing. That's, that's a big thing that makes it really hard, right? Paul says in another part of the New Testament, I say with tears that many live as enemies of the cross. Many live as enemies of the cross. He says with tears, their stomach is their God. And their destiny is destruction. What's their king? Their appetite. What can I see in my life which will make me happy? My gut just takes me there. But there's no hope in that. There's no reconciliation with their creator. And their destiny is destruction. Who would want that? Well, not me. But you know what? When all the lemmings are heading in a certain direction, it's hard, isn't it, to go the other way? It's really, really hard. Uh, I, uh, the, the, the church um, that I was a part of, we had this really fruitful period in our church's sort of history. And there, there were 12 of us at one stage who had committed to go into full-time ministry of the word and prayer. 12 guys from this, this one church, my peers, all of us together. Now, 20 odd years later, I was just going through it yesterday, trying to look through it. Uh, three people have fallen away of the 12. Two of those falling away um, included a marriage, marriage breakdowns. Uh, two other people have just dropped out of ministry completely. It, it was too difficult for them. And a couple, of other, a couple of others have just had a really, really rough time in ministry. And so I don't know quite what the math is. I think that leaves five or something of us who would say it's been, it's been fine. It hasn't, it's not necessarily been easy, but we're, we're, we're going as we thought we would go. I've got another friend who works in a workplace where it's highly political. To not take sides somewhere is costly. Um, here on campus, if you want to be a zealous Christian, you go out and do something like Lot's uncle, right? It's, it's really easy. There are so many people, new people to speak to every day about Jesus, and it feels alive and vibrant and on the coalface and vital, and then you go to a workplace and your only social connection, you know, 24 7, well, not 24 7, but whatever it is, eight, eight hours, five days a week. The only people you really connect with is like um, in a group of maybe five to ten and it's a really political environment and they want you to just choose a side, please. Don't you dislike them? Aren't you with us? And you're trying to rise above it and this is how you witness? Not through doing something like really explicit and exciting like walk up evangelism, even though it's scary. No, just by standing back and being willing to be lonely. In order, in order to be fair-minded and to show the character of Christ in this drip by drip of it's hard, right? To keep trusting Jesus is king. And, and here Paul is saying, though, but as you suffer, 
in all sorts of weird, wonderful ways. If you persevere, the character of God, the character of Christ is beginning to be formed in you and you can begin to see it with all the attendant joys that come with becoming more and more like Christ. And it just gives you confidence. I can do this. <laughs> this works. I am on, I'm on his side. But the much more important aspect of assurance isn't, uh, isn't ours, but God's side, God's character. So we've got um, the hope that's formed in us through our character being formed by suffering, perseverance, and so on. But the other side of this is God's character. This is far more significant. Look here in verse 5. And hope does not put us to shame, this hope that we have, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Now, I have to say, when I read that verse, I think that that's a, a funny way to demonstrate that our hope will not put us to shame. If someone said to me, um, I'm going to give you a house, just going to give you a house, what would be the most obvious way to prove that to me would be, well, give me the house keys or something, or give me the, the title for the property or whatever you call it, the contract, or, or give me photos, give me photos of the land, or give me photos of the house, right? Like, just give me some foretaste of what I'll actually inherit. But look what it says here. It doesn't say, it doesn't say here, this hope of glory, this hope of resurrection into a new heaven and a new earth, here's a little taste, or here's a bit of a, an experience of it, or something like that. It doesn't, it doesn't say that here. No, it says, how do we know that this hope of resurrection, this hope of New creation, this hope of consummation. How do we know it's going to come through? God says, because you know I love you. That's why you know it's true. And you've experienced that and you've tasted that. Why is this the assurance that's given to us? Well, imagine, if you will, go on a bit of a journey with me here. Imagine, if you will, you've got a friend who's... Uh, been blind from birth and they're blind and they have an opportunity to have some sort of corrective surgery it's, it's risky, it's expensive and they're weighing up and you're their friend and first of all they want to know what's, what, can, can you just tell me can you just describe to me what is it like to see It's a big decision to make. I need to know it's worth it. What's, what's it like to see? Well, I know for me, words would utterly fail me. I, I don't know how I would communicate the beauty, the glory, the awesomeness of being able to see. All, all I could say is what it's not. You know, that's the, that's the only reference point my blind friend would have. Well, you know how at the moment you carry a stick to sort of... You wouldn't need that anymore. Um, you know, you wouldn't need to sort of feel things to work out how big they are. Instantly, just by looking at it, you could see how big it was. What you see at the moment, it's actually darkness. Well, that, that'll, go, that'll be gone. That won't be your normal state of being anymore. That'll just be when you're sleeping, you'll see that kind of darkness. Just reserved for when you've kind of completely tuned out. 
See, it's all in negatives, what it won't be to see. And haven't you noticed that when it comes to heaven in the Bible, that's how it talks about heaven, what it won't be. Every tear will be wiped from your eye. There won't be any sea. That means there won't be any chaos. There won't be any sin, death, disease, destruction. But yes, but what will it be in the, in the positive? Well, then it goes into weird metaphors. It'll be... Streets paved with gold. Uh, well, I, that doesn't sound that great to me, honest. Can you give me something else? Everything gold? Do you know how much that would actually suck if everything was gold? It's a metaphor, and it's because it's trying to describe something that we have really no experience of. Sin and death have so infused our experience. I can't describe what it's like without it, says the Bible says, Paul says, everyone. But what if your friend who's blind from birth says to you, it's risky corrective surgery, it's costly. I don't know what it's like to see, but I know you love me. Tell me, should I do this? All the experts have their opinions. You tell my friend who loves me. You tell me, should I do this? You can see I can't. Do you see what's going on there? I can't see, but I can trust. And, and God is saying here, you can't see. You cannot see the glory that is in store for you. But this you can see. This you can experience. This you can taste. My love. You know I love you. I've poured it. It's not just sprinkled it, uh, just giving you a little taste here and there, a crumb. No, he says, I've poured my love into your hearts. Don't you, don't you know that, Christian? Don't you therefore know beyond any reasonable doubt that I love you, that I'm the creator of God, and that I'm good? Therefore, when I say there is glory, there is glory coming. That you too one day will, will barely, be, barely be able to get the words out. Ironic stutter there. So barely be able to get the words out. <laughs> we will agree with God, you know. I know eternity doesn't sound that bright, but you know, when we get there, when if God says it's unbelievably glorious, we will get there and we'll go, yeah, man. <laughs> no, sorry, in heaven, so you won't swear, but if you want to, you'll go, mm, gosh, this is unbelievable. But only when we get there, but now we can trust. But you might say, but hang on a second. I don't feel God's love poured out in my heart. Again, this is abstract. Give me more. What are you talking about? Well, look, Paul gets into the nitty-gritty, into the mechanics of salvation, how it works. And look, he explains it. Look here. You see, verse 6, that means, okay, I'm going to unpack that. God's poured his love out into your heart. You see, now I'm going to explain what that means. Love poured out by the power of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Verse 6, you see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. You can imagine someone 
dying, this is a bit clunky, the English translation, but you can imagine someone dying, this is the argument, you can imagine someone dying for someone who's respected and we esteem, you know, a righteous person. Someone might possibly dare to die for a good person, like a normal garden variety good person. They might dare to die for them. But who dies for their enemy? And God says, you know, Paul says, do you not see this? You know, you didn't, you're not saved because you contributed anything. That's not how this works. God reached down in Jesus with his love while you were still hating on him and says, you are mine. I choose you. I die for you. I forgive you before you even know you need forgiveness. That's how God pours his love out into your hearts. And it may be a feeling. It may not be a feeling. Just knowing it's enough. We're all different people. We're all wired different ways. But this is what it means when it says the Holy Spirit is working powerfully in, in you in this passage. What does the Holy Spirit do? Well, God is in work. God is, 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 is at work in us from first to last when it comes to salvation. It says in Ephesians, right, doesn't it? Even faith is a gift from God. God has poured the Holy Spirit into our hearts if you're a Christian so you... A blind sinner who has your stomach as your God and destruction as your destiny. You will not turn from that. That's where everyone goes, apart from the Holy Spirit being poured into your heart to wake you up. You know God loves you because he's woken you up. He's helped you to see the scales have fallen from your eyes. You now recognize that Jesus is the king. That's the work of God loving on you, loving you. Saying, you stupid, dumb, blind sinner, you fool. See, you wouldn't apart from that. And so you know, you know, you look at the cross that's how you know. There's a good little excursus here to sort of um, drag up that famous quote from C.H. Spurgeon. He says, I looked to the cross and the dove of peace flew into my heart. I looked at the dove and it flew away. And what he's, what he's trying to point out there is it's a mistake, particularly a mistake when you look, look for particular experiences. We often attach it with the Holy Spirit. No, you've really misunderstood how this works. The Holy Spirit works in you powerfully by pointing you to the cross. That's the concrete evidence, proof, demonstration that this hope is real. That's where your hope lies. And that's because of God's character. He is love, as revealed in his son. So, let me land this. Let me wrap it up. By restating the point, what have we received here and now? What do we gain? We've received, we've received this grace in which we stand and this hope in which we boast. Will this hope put us to shame? No. 
because Christ is being formed in us that we know we are one of his and because of God's character, his love poured out into our hearts. And this is no small thing to be giving. It's utterly transformative. Let me end with this small anecdote. There was a, a, an evangelist who lived in the 19th century, very um, famous American evangelist called Billy Sunday. Um, drew the crowds, very well-known public figure who powerfully preached the gospel, the biggest evangelist before Billy Graham came onto the scene. And, and he was also a, a vocal opponent of the illegal liquor trade. I don't quite know what was going on, but there was a big trade illegal trade in, in liquor going on in the States at the time. And he was so effective in standing against it um, that uh, some of the criminals, some of the underworld involved in it, were getting caught. They were being exposed. And one of these underworld figures threatened Billy Sunday. He said to him, you shut up or we will kill you. Be quiet, or you will die. And Billy Sunday's public and famous response was, you're wanting me to shut up? And you threaten me with eternal life? <laughs> what are you thinking? <laughs> I'd much rather be gone and be with Christ. And the point here is you might think, you know, well, hope. What's, what, what gain is that? Well, you know what? Hope that's real, hope that's living is utterly transformative. Completely changes your posture to the world in which you live. Completely changes the way you relate to others, the way you live your life. Just like that. Makes no sense, and it shouldn't. Because we're... Marching to the beat of another drum, a glorious march, a glorious beat. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you um, for your gospel. We thank you for this rich, detailed teasing out of what it means to be saved. Help us, God, to respond in faith. And we pray, God, that through our character being formed in us, our hope would grow. And I pray, God, that we would begin to grasp as it says in Ephesians, we pray that you be able to grasp the extent of God's love for us. Help us, God, to get that so we know and taste and feel how sure our hope is. In your son's name, amen. Thank you for listening to this Monash Christian Union Bible Talk. We long to see everyone at Monash University know a disciple-making disciple of Jesus Christ. If you have been blessed by this ministry and would love to support Monash Christian Union, you can do so via the link in the podcast description.